Ladies and gentlemen, you can take up your seats. I'll just take us through the word of prayer just in a minute. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time. I want to thank you because you've given us a chance to come together. Lord, we knew this day before you knew it. We knew this, you knew this day before you knew it, and we want to say thank you because we are here to deliberate on issues that are going to shape this country and shape the children of Africa. So this is Christ our Lord. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, now let's welcome Abbas Simpindi, the CEO of Media Challenge Initiative, to come and give us an insight on how and why we should have National Media Dialogue on Education. Abbas studied from Abakei University and went to UNICAT and did all that and started Media Challenge Initiative with the fellows. Why did he start Media Challenge Initiative? We'd like to understand all that. Abbas, you're welcome. Thank you, Julia. Hello. Can we have some energy? Hello. How are you doing? The youth organization, huh? Um... I would like to take this opportunity to welcome you all here at the Media Challenge Initiative. Um, we are a youth organization building the next generation of journalists. If you are here for the first time, feel at home and uh, make sure that before you leave, if you are not a, a journalist, you have met a young journalist because this is where they are groomed. In most cases, we tell them, stay close to the fire and, and, and get that connection. Um, I'm very excited for today in particular because we have spent the last six or so years working as a, an education innovation, but in most cases, people think that we are a media development organization. But really, the foundation of our work was to fix what was not working in, in the media education space. Fix what was not working in, in the media education space. So as a young journalist, I went to ask for an internship at a TV station. And person on the security point asked me if I knew someone in the media house. And at that point, I didn't know anyone inside. But what I knew was I had the passion, I had the skill, I had each and every um, requirement that would be needed for an internship. Because for me then, if a security person told me anything, I would just follow, maybe not today, uh, to Umkat School of Journalism. And as I was going back, I was thinking about how many other young people every day walk to offices, to media houses, to different offices, and get the same um, response. And the idea is, how do you reverse nepotism, right? How do you make sure that people get to know as many young people who have the skills and the talent? Uh, and that's how we started the first ever news anchoring competition. Access to internship. Young journalists have access to jobs, and young journalists have access to training. Which brings me to today. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank uh, our partners, BW Academy. 
um, represented here. Please clap for DW Academy. And I would also like to thank BMZ, represented by Ute, and they'll be speaking to us. Um, DW Academy has been supporting MCI for almost five years now, and it's a relationship that resulted into this facility where we are seated. So thank you so much. Clap for them. Thank you so much, uh, DW Academy, for believing in the vision of MCI and building the next generation of journalists. So for, you may be wondering, media and their national dialogue, um, why are we here? So we started public service delivery reporting training. And really the rationale is to, for journalists, one, to understand, understand their role in covering and reporting public services and ensuring that the last mile or the last pass round round in communities um, is able to get services. So you realize that in most cases, the stories you see about access to public services from our communities, especially in rural areas, is very rare. Unless there is a disaster, unless there is a, maybe a politician visiting a community or launching something. But that's not, that's not what's happening on the ground that the world needs to know. For leaders to be held accountable, for them to know what's happening in those communities, journalists must be able to reach those communities and cover stories and also get to document and engage communities. So our work had been skilling young journalists. And the skilling is good, right? But it's one thing to skill someone, it's another thing for them to understand their role in reporting about public services. So that's what give birth to the national media dialogue. That we want to be able to get community voices to the national platform. We have editors here, we have managers here from different media houses that are based here in the capital city. And you also get to see some stories that have been covered from, specifically from Soroti. And uh, you might say, but that be a good representative of Uganda. We're using it as a case and be able to discuss the state of education today. So, stories alone are not enough, right? Um, and we as journalists, we can go to the communities and do stories and leave them In. What is important is what happens after the story, what conversations happen after the story, what policies are put in place because of the stories we do as journalists. But for that to happen, there has to be a very good relationship between the journalists and the public servant or the leaders that we have. Historically, 
because of the watchdog role of a journalist, the relationship has not been very good. And we are saying, as journalists, we can spotlight problems, but it's really important that we begin to spotlight what's working in these communities as well. So you will also get to see that. And today, uh, at the end of it all, personally as the CEO, I will consider this a success if in some of the breakout rooms we have conversations between you know, government officials and journalists to understand what's the relationship and how can we improve it, right? And how do we go from here that journalists, or even the young journalists who work with, are able to reach out to government officials and get the relevant information without being told, ah, where is the story going to run? You are just a student. Because the impact of these stories in the long run is that there is really a thin line between school dropouts and the cycle of poverty that you see that a lot of people go through. And all that could be avoided by spotlighting the challenge by the media, by the media working together with public officials and being able to have discussions like this so that at the end of the day we all leave when we know uh, our role and responsibility. So um, our commitment to this is that this discussion will give birth to a document which we'll share with editors on the different ideas you would have shared, and we'll also share it with the Minister of Education and other stakeholders. The dialogues are a series. So this time it's education. We will also put a focus on health and another issue. We don't decide what issues. We work with community reporters that are under the DW Academy program and they share with us what issues are happening in the community. So this time around, we have an issue from Soroti, and that's why we came to discuss education. So I do hope that you have a lot of fun here. And we will put you in some groups. So please participate, uh, share ideas, because at the end of the day, we all you know, belong to this one nation called Uganda. We have a role to make sure that this if this education system works, the next 30 years, um, 50 years of this country will also look so much better because of the young people that are coming through the education system. So with that as a framing and a starter to the conversation, I would like to invite Miriam, do you want to say hi to the people? And <laughs> Miriam has said hi. <laughs> Do you want to say one or two words uh, before inviting Elena as well? Please clap for Miriam. Thank you, Abbas. I'm sorry this comes a bit as a surprise. I'm not prepared for that because I was not supposed to speak, but I would like to say hello and welcome to the first National Dialogue. I'm really happy that this event takes place because it is something that we have been working towards for a very long time now. Um, we have started in 2014 with um, training the first community reporters um, who are based in several communities in eight districts now. And they report, no, they do not report, they inform on issues related to public services um, from their communities. They give the mobile phone 
to people on the market space, to people on the roads, to people in the schools who can share their stories. And these stories are being embedded into the programs of partner media houses. Um, and today, we listen to these stories also here in Kampala, which I feel is very exciting, because how often do we have the chance to really transport these stories to the national level, to, our, to the capital? And um, I am working for DW Academy here in Uganda. I'm based here in Kampala for, this is my 10th year working in Uganda. Um, and uh, we have visitors also today from Germany. I have my colleague Elena Ern and, uh, from DW Academy and Ute Eckerts from the Ministry of Economic Cooperation and Development from Germany. Um, they are also speaking, so I won't take too long. I would like to hand over to Elena, who will give you some more background. Thank you. Thank you very much, Miriam. Thank you very much, Abbas. It's really an honor for me to be here. It's an honor to participate in that important event on public service delivery, um, this national dialogue. It is part of the project Uplifting Community Voices. Uh, MCI and DW Academy are implementing together with Ugandan media houses. What uh, does it mean, uplifting community voices? How to uplift the community voices. Um, communities are uplifted when they have access to what they definitely and basically need. For example, water, transport, and of course, education, which is the topic of today. Um, having this access, they are able to uplift themselves. But they can't do it alone. They need um, yeah, the national level. It is a national duty. Uh, Miriam mentioned before, since 2014, we have been working on the topic of public service deliver delivery, focusing on rural areas, areas and supporting the creation of a network of, um, of reporters, of um, correspondents, delivering stories, like uh, Abbas said before, stories from um, areas where journalists normally don't go, but where is a need um, to uh, those stories to be covered. Um, uh, um, and really, they go to, to areas that are neglected. This laid the basis for a dialogue with citizens and decision makers, which is something also we find very important. Uh, the duty of journalism is to hold those decision makers to account. And now we are going one step further because, and that is something Abbas also mentioned, the national level is so important. It is important to know for um, journalists in Kampala, what is happening outside the city, what is happening far away from them in rural areas. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and by doing that, um, we bring together policy makers and civil society organization to uh, make them aware of the needs upcountry to deliver better their services. I would like to take the opportunity to thank uh, the radio stations that are working on that. Um, and I'd like to say a special thank to Uta Eckhartz, who is representing today the German uh, Ministry of Cooperation and Development. Um, you, you give us the financial support to do all that, but we are very sure that what we are doing has or gives the sustainable background in order to guarantee public service delivery in the future. So thank you, thank you very much for that. And I think um, at the end of this process, we will have those 
uplifted communities. Thank you very much. And I give the word to you now. Good afternoon. It's um, the real pleasure to have the opportunity to be here today and to participate in this important event. As has been said, I'm Ute Eckertz. I'm representing the Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development in Germany. It's called the short thing, better to listen to is BMZ. So, and as BMZ, we have been supporting the DW Academy and its partners in the field of media development in Uganda for quite a while, as you have heard. It's very exciting for me to get an insight into the projects now being here, because normally I sit at my desk and don't have much insight in the work going on really um, on the ground or in the countries. It is, and now my insights clearly show, and we all know how diverse media development is. Media can give people a voice, provide them with information, but also promote constructive dialogue and bring different actors to the table to advance solutions to current issues. That is what we see today. This national dialogue on education taking place here in this room and in the other very nice rooms of the premises is an excellent example. Education is a human right. Education holds opportunities for development, both for the individual, but also for the society. Development goal four of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development states, ensure inclusive, equitable, and quality education and lifelong learning opportunities for all. Promoting education is therefore an important task that concerns all of us in any place all over the world. After almost three years of pandemic, probably the biggest challenge is getting back to the new normal. What is the new normal? Uganda, as a country where schools were closed for almost two years, faces particular challenges. On the one hand, it is a question of promoting formal education, but on the other hand, as we have heard, it is also a question of addressing all those young people who have never been back to school ever since. This task can only be mastered collectively through exchange, development of creative solutions, and cooperation. I wish for all of us that today's dialogue can contribute to these efforts, and I would like to take the opportunity to say a special thank to learn uh, to the team of the Media Challenge Initiative and the team of DW Academy for realizing the event and opening its doors to all of us. Thank you so much. Hello. Whom do I give it to? All right, a round of applause for our partners, DW and BMZ. We appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for being part of this journey. I am a Media Challenge Fellow. And uh, DW Academy paid all our expenses while in the fellowship from day one to the end. And I'm proud to be part of the DW Academy. I'm part of, uh, proud of uh, Media Challenge Initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, even as to when we want to discuss about education, remember there are some of the things that Uganda has gone through 
that we need to talk about again, isn't it? Many children in villages are walking kilometers to go to school. And even when they reach the school, the infrastructure is deplorable, isn't it? And when the Mabatis are stolen from here, they never reach the school. Those who stole them say, I gave them to a school because it had some issues. I gave them to the churches. Daily Monitor went to a certain school and said, we didn't find the Mabatis there. Who is to suffer again? The African child, isn't it? Allow me welcome. We can't talk about education without inviting a school. So we invited a school to come and give us what they do best. And these are kids who sing very well. I think we can give it a hand clap when they did for, for us on the national anthem. We appreciate you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Nelson Mandela Madiba from South Africa said, education is the most powerful weapon we can use to change the world. Do we still rhyme on that statement? In Uganda, do we still rhyme on that statement? Can education in Uganda still change the world? Do you still believe in that? Allow me welcome Dr. Dungu to give us the state of Uganda's education, whether we're still on track or we are all staggering and lost. Dr. Dungu, you're welcome to give us the state of Uganda's education, where we are, where we're heading, and where we assumed we should be the state of Uganda's education. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Dr. Dungu. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, my name is Ronald Dungu. I'm not yet a doctor, but uh, I take it this afternoon. I'm happy to be here. I'm seeing all the youthful faces here. I'm uh, happy to meet my seniors, Margaret, Philbert. Happy to be with you. Um, I'm sorry I won't be here probably for long, but I will see what to do because I thought this engagement was earlier, so I came a little earlier. I just want to find out how many people seated here and they were in the same primary school? Same, so it means you are two people, three, in the same. Okay, how many are here and they were in the same secondary school? Wow. How many are here and they were in the same university? Probably more. Okay, okay. But we are here because we are journalists in the making. So is there a school that is focused, a primary school that is focused on producing journalists? Is there a secondary school that is focused and producing journalists. But, as the youngsters said, with the lower secondary curriculum that is changing, we would like to see skills development, we would like to see intentional development, we would like to see particular themes coming through the schools. So I'm here to talk about where we are and where we want to go. I had a presentation, I don't know if it will come on, but as you may know, I'm not going to give you quite a number of uh, statistics, but as you may know, the Ministry of Education, now that you're a journalist, the Ministry of Education has the mandate to provide quality education and sports services to all Ugandans. 
That is our mandate, to make sure that we have quality education. And of course, somebody is asking, are you now providing quality education? Yes. We are intentional. We would like to see quality education. Next slide. Whoever is moving the slides. Next slide, please. As journalists, I want you to know that data in the education sector is very important. And one of the strategies that we have is to enhance the collection of data through what we've called the education management information system. And if you can take away something today, it is this, that we have the digital emis now, where we are collecting information on learners, teachers, non-teaching staff, and also infrastructure. And that is key to us, to know even the quality of the infrastructure. You're listening to AMCI Radio, the, the coolest internet radio. AMCI Radio for African Voices. The hits just keep on coming. Yes, oh, fresh hits, fresh talent, and connecting all universities. Download the AMCI Radio app on Google Play Store, the home of the African Voice, a free internet radio on radio.mciug.org. You're listening to AMCI Radio, the, the coolest internet radio. AMCI Radio for African Voices. Do you feel unheard, underrepresented, your views and opinions unreflected? Tune in to my perspective for thought-provoking discussions, debates, and conversations. Join Tracy and the panelists as they dig deeper into current affairs, democracy, the rule of law, and societal issues in our country. Hear different perspectives. Technology within education. It's critical that we integrate technology within the education system, despite the fact that we don't have electricity in all the places. But then we need to think, what do we do to bring on the very last school? As I speak, tomorrow we are having head teacher meetings across the nation. And those head teachers are talking about how to make sure that the ME system is alive. What is the ME's calendar and what are they supposed to do? We are creating professional learning communities of head teachers. We want head teachers to support each other. Who makes a school? We can put their school, we can put their teachers, we can put their books, we can put their head teachers, but a head teacher in a school is very important. So as a Ministry of Education, we are taking it on to create professional learning communities of head teachers. We are starting at the secondary school level, and we are asking every secondary school 
to partner with a primary school in the neighborhood. If we have a secondary school in every sub-county and we have primary schools in that sub-county, we should be able to pair up this leadership and then create learning communities, impact on these head teachers, and let them learn from each other. We are on Zoom most of the time with those who can, and then they go back home and then sit the others and then be able to tell them this is the direction of the ministry. I saw somebody with a t-shirt here and said we cannot have development without direction. We must have direction. And the Ministry of Education provides direction. I, I don't want to give you quite a lot of numbers because you really have numbers. Okay? Um, with the EMIS, we are going to have learner identification numbers. And the learner identification numbers are going to track learners from pre-primary all the way up to the university. And we want that tagged to the national identification number of the child as they are born. They should be able to get a national identification number within the health center where they are born. So that we can begin to count. While right now, um, within the MS system, I just quoted this afternoon, that there are 21,892 pre-primary institutions. I do not want to bring numbers of how many learners, because I know that the numbers are not yet right. But the next time you invite me, I'll come here with my computer, and whatever information you need about education, I will have it. Data, as I said, is very important. We look after the curriculum for the ECD uh, centers, we also look after the training for the teachers. I know quite a number of teachers are in these institutions and they are not trained, but we want to let you know that they should be trained. We, as government, do not run um, early childhood um, development centers. We don't. But the individuals who run these centers should be monitored, should be guided, and that is what we do. Next slide talks about the primary schools. We have quite a number of primary schools, both private and government, and still I did not bring the numbers of the learners, but as I said, we are collecting this data, updating it every other time, so that data is important. Will we have the slides? Whoever has the slides? Go to the primary, the next slide. 47,508 um, primary schools are registered, of which 12,491 are government schools. And somebody is saying, why isn't the government taking 90% of that? Probably yes, but we'll be able uh, to get there. UPE has boosted enrollment, and we can see the learners in the schools, and it is now critical to make sure that they learn what is expected to be learned in those schools. And like I told you, the head teachers in these schools, the teachers in the schools are critical, and it is our duty to mentor them, and that is the duty we are embarking on. Let's move to the secondary education. Now, 8,176 secondary schools are registered, and 13 
1,370 of those are government aided. Now you can see that there are most private providers in the secondary space. And yes, the policy is we should have uh, a secondary school in every sub-county. And what do we see now? Of course, the learners are moving away from the government schools and they are going to the private schools. Why? Probably um, the service in the government schools is not as expected. But why isn't it as expected? The head teachers are critical to us and we are getting in there. The information must come on table. We must be able to know what is happening at all times. Within the lower secondary curriculum, sorry, space, the curriculum is changing. And why is the curriculum changing? Many people are complaining. All of us have been complaining that the graduates of our schools cannot do anything. I'm happy. I've seen gentlemen on the cameras here and now all of our, everybody elsewhere is watching us. But when did they get trained on the camera? Probably after university, like you've said. Why didn't they start at the primary level? Why didn't they start at the secondary level? And that's why we are changing the curriculum. The curriculum still has its challenges. And when you are rolling out a national program, you need to start. When you wait, you will never start. You need to start and then you begin to improve. We shall improve. We shall get there. And we are getting there. What is important? Mindset change. Mindset change from the leaders. And that's what I've told you. We are grappling with the leadership in our schools and we are working on it. From the leader to the teachers. And who makes a school? We've said it's the head teacher with the teachers. But who makes the teachers? It is the head teacher. Now, who makes the head teacher? It's us. And we are destined for that to provide the direction and we will be able um, to get there. So you know that there is uh, universal secondary education. You also know that there is universal post level education and training programs in schools. When you go up country, you find very good buildings in secondary schools. But when you look at um, the A-level section, especially the A-level section, the numbers are low. The numbers are low. One, the parents, of course, some learners have moved to the urban centers, but also the curriculum has pushed the students out of school. I'm a mathematics teacher, and for those I taught, um, I think I have only one here. Anyone who went to Gayaza High School? Ah, only Diana went to Gayaza High School. I know Kabera came after I've left, but my name, I think, rhymes um, with the stories there. Whoever would come in senior one, you would go to teach in a rural primary school, mathematics for five hours. And it was deliberate. Why? For you to learn the community challenges. When you learn the community challenges, the next step is for us to tell you that you are the leader for tomorrow and you must devise solutions to those problems. So there was a lot of community activity.
I was just looking around out here and looking at all the homes here and imagined the schools within this locality. How often do they come out to work and support the communities to change their livelihood? That's why we are changing the curriculum. The class must stop being the forward classroom. It must be in the open space. It must be where the problems of the communities are. We must find education within the spaces of the problems. You would not study mathematics at A level without putting on gambots if you are in my class. And we are very deliberate because this is an agricultural country. You needed to understand, and journalists, you need to understand where 90% of our people find their livelihood. And let the stories focus on that. How do we uplift the community people? We don't have to uplift the few people in the oil sector, but we need to uplift the 90% of our people in the agricultural sector. And the agricultural value chain is very clear. So as a teacher of mathematics, a teacher of history, a teacher of music, a teacher of English, how do you integrate that skilling in agriculture in your classroom? That's what the new curriculum, secondary curriculum is talking about. So we are very deliberate as ministry, as government, to transform the education in this country. And from the secondary level, will move up to the A-level section, but clearly looking at the primary end. Clearly looking at the primary end, there is already a thematic curriculum. There is no reason why the science teacher is teaching science, and in the science classroom, they are drawing cabbages on the blackboard. The schools have gardens, and the students are not going into the garden, and you're teaching mulching on the blackboard. It is about training, yes, it's about mentorship, and we are getting in there. We are very deliberate, we'll be able to do that. But we need you to speak out, to tell the stories. If there are schools that are doing well, uplift their voices. Tell us what they are doing, bring them through the media space, and let other people learn from them. I would go on and on, because after the secondary school level, when you come to the higher level, the uh, TVET policy is out and skilling all learners is critical. And that's why you are seeing that even at the lower level, skilling is coming up. So the policies, the guidelines are in place. We need the support from everybody, our friends here, as you deal with the academy here, let's think about the education and how can we integrate um, our voices into the education space. I will stop there because I have another engagement, but I will come back into the room to listen to the next uh, discussions. I thank you. Let's give Mr. Dung a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Many people wanted to understand where the government is in terms of uh, uplifting seed schools to make sure that they are somewhere, isn't it? Did you receive the state of uh, education in Uganda? Let's go for Mr. Dungu one more time. Let's now welcome again um, the choir.
They're supposed to give us a song at first, and the systems denied them a chance, and now they are proper. Let's welcome Kennedy High School to give us a, a piece, a song, and then we shall continue with our program. Kennedy? to AMCI Radio, the, the coolest internet radio. AMCI Radio for African voices. <laughs> Oh. Uh -huh. 
to AMC Ladies and gentlemen, I'm seeing another rim and no more cooler in the internet building. Radio. AMCI Radio for African... Who is the lead singer of the song? Come here, come here, come here, come here. Somebody get me my wallet. I want to give this lady 50,000. Just give us your name and why you, chose to, why you were chosen to be the lead singer for the song. Good afternoon to you all. Good afternoon to you all. My name is Katasu Rebecca Mpasaka, a.k.a. Becky. And, <laughs> and you know that song. I, I was just given a chance because at first I loved it. And you know, God knows the reason why I was chosen to lead the part. <laughs> Thank you. All right, a.k.a. Becky, and not chosen Becky, just to quote that, right? Becky, thank you so much. Before you leave, make sure you come to me. I'll give you 50000 Anybody else who wants to give her some money on the crew? Anybody else? You guys. I know Embera and Bina, eh? Let's appreciate this, this choir, yeah? Anybody else? Okay. Somebody who is keeping this footage, keep it for me. I'm seeing somebody becoming a big star. Rema, Rema was like that in Budo, and somebody say the exact words I'm saying to her. Today she makes four million to sing for you on a Kwanjula. Just one Saturday, and she has over like seven bookings on a day. How much is that? How much does an MP make on a, on a month? We don't want to go there, isn't it? Ladies and gentlemen, we are here to craft solutions to education challenges and to make sure we zoom in to how the future will be for Ugandan education, isn't it? We have people in this nation who have studied but never know the importance of studying. We want to play a video of how people in Soroti and how um, teenage pregnancies has affected education in Soroti district, most especially the eastern world of this country. Ladies and gentlemen, all your eyes on the screen as we premiere this video from Soroti. Nuali right there is going to be hosting the panel discussing Uganda's education achievement opportunities and solutions. But as of now, Let's get into the video and understand how education and teenage pregnancy in Uganda is hugely affecting it. As some school dropouts remain staying together with their parents, with their parents this is not the case. School dropouts remain staying together with their parents. This is not the case with Rebecca Alabo. Alabo, a resident of Awoja, Anganya village in Aukot sub-county, Soroti district, dropped out of Gweri Secondary School when she was in senior two. Alabo, aged 21 years, was rejected by her father, including other relatives. Her worst situation started when she dropped out of school due to pregnancy in 2019. She was 17 years old, a single mother of one child of four years. Alabo was chased out of their home by his father and was again rejected by her auntie's husband, where she had rushed to take refuge. A six-born of eight children, Alabo was finally offered accommodation and meals by a well-wisher who felt bad about her situation. As if that was not enough, during her labor pains, she again faced a challenge of transport to the health facility, problem of feeding and baby sheets, no relative bothered to accompany her to Soroti Regional Referral Hospital. She remained stigmatized and rejected where she thought of committing suicide. Nothing tortured me. They chased me out 
I had to sleep outside. Biting me, he told me that no, with your womb, you're eating a lot of food. If there is a problem, we are now going to start locking you inside the house. Now when it was the time for giving birth, things we had. I didn't have things for carrying the baby. I was helpless. They used, they got the only bed sheets and they divided for taking me to the hospital. So after that, things were not okay. She went and pleaded to her mother to allow her return home, but the father still insisted to chase Alabo and her mother, Betty Abunyo, who is living positively with the HIV stroke AIDS virus. They lived a horrible life elsewhere for six months, but only managed to return home after her father's death. Abunyo, Alabo's mother, says she... You're listening to AMCI Radio, the, the coolest internet radio. AMCI Radio for African voices. Have a seat, please. Leia, take us through what happened to Alobo after you've covered the story. So, some of you may ask the question that why Alabo? But Alabo had a very, very appealing story when she dropped out of school. Alabo was a bright girl. She loved mathematics and science. She dropped out of school when she was in senior two, just because she never wanted to drop out. But what was the problem? It was due to poverty. A labo used to foot over seven kilometers, seven miles to school, where she was convinced by a certain man who claimed that he was a rich man, could come driving his car, that I am a rich man. And now, come, be parking, your, be parking your bicycle or come on the roadside, stay there, I'll come and pick you with my car, I drop you to school. She was convinced like that. After, this lady conceived. This girl. This girl conceived. When she conceived, she went to the man that things are not well now. Was the car still there? Pardon? <laughs> so from that time up to now as we talk, Alabo doesn't know the where the vehicle has gone. The, the phone number, the man changed. The phone number is not available. Even that day when I was communicating to her, I, I told her first bring the number we tried to call, but was not on. So as Alabo was from a poor family, the father, I think the parents and the relatives who were trying to go and labor in some people's gardens to get money for buying books and paying house school fees. The father felt bad and chased this lady out of school. I mean, this girl out of home. So when she was chased out of home, she went to her auntie's place, whereby 
the husband to the auntie also rejected her. Alabo was helped by the well-wisher who felt bad about her situation. She was given accommodation and meals. But the worst bit of it, during her labor pains, the well-wisher also told her, I've done my part. So continue now from there. So the access to the health facility was hard. No transport, no even baby sheets. A labo decided to go and sat on the roadside, waiting for any person who will help her to take her to the hospital. Indeed, a man came as, as she was in pain. She could not remember the name, his name. So a certain man came, dropped him up to Soroti Regional Hospital. Reaching there, she underwent an operation, but was successful. Before that, she was asked to pay, a doctor asked her to pay some 350,000 operation, but Alabo didn't have the money by that time. But I think the doctor also felt bad about her situation. She was operated. Then now, what, what to use for welcoming the newborn? Alabo had no baby sheets. So the, the mother to Alabo now came with the two old baby sheets and divided for carrying the baby. So when they were discharged from the hospital, back home, still the dad insisted, chased all of them out of home. So Alabo had to, Alabo's mother, who is called Abunyo, moved with her daughter to their home in Aukot, to the mother's home in Aukot. Fast forward, is the kid okay and is Alabo okay now? The kid is okay, the kid is now four months. Oh. I mean four years. Four years, okay. Alabo is also fine. She's, she's now finally back to her home. But unfortunately, the, the dad passed on. He only came back home after the, the father's, her father's death. Was it a blessing in this day? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure, really. I'm just trying to think outside the Roman box. They are now at, they are now at home with the mother. Nobody will chase them. No, because their dad who was tough on her first soon. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Is, uh, did Alabo ha has plans of returning to school? As we talk right now, Alabo is very willing to go back to school if, if she's given that opportunity. She is very ready. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a hand clap to Leah. I think Claire has a, um, a talent of storytelling. Storytellers move with books. They don't want to miss out any point. Uganda holds the record of having the youngest grandmother at the age of 14 years. That girl is in Mbale. At the age of 14, she's a grandmother. Daily Monitor did that story. NBS did that story too. 
Honorable, am I lying? At the age of 14, she's a grandmother. How? <laughs> How? 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 Ladies and gentlemen, we are discussing teenage pregnancy. On the 14th of, I think, July 2018, Daily Monitor produced a story. It shouldn't be 14, but I think she's 21. And her daughter, who is 14, also produced. Her daughter, who is 14, also? But it was 2018. Yes. And in 2020, Daily, uh, NBS rendered story when the kid who was produced, who produced at 14 died while giving birth to a fourth child. She got pregnant when she was 10. By 14, she was having her fourth child and died. So she died while giving birth to her fourth. She's in Mbale. When you reach Mbale and ask for that lady, they will take you to her. So Uganda holds that record in Guinness Books of Records. Yeah? So teenage pregnancy has become a toll on Uganda's education. Why I was asking Leah whether a lobo has a dream of going back to school, seems every girl who gets pregnant on 100%, only two return back to school after getting pregnant. Only 2% on 100. And that has become a song for so many women after getting pregnant, even at the university. You've studied with girls after getting pregnant. The husband says, why are you going back to school? Before she knows, second one. Yeah? And in second rate, it's worse because you're ridiculed, isn't it? It's becoming a toll on Uganda's education. Education.